country is more divided than ever before. Uh, there we go. Yes. Good morning again, everybody. I'm David. If you're at home, so glad to have you guys joining us and so glad to have people for the second week in the room. Today, we are uh, stepping into a brand new sermon series um, on a little bit of a hot topic, right? Today, we kick off week one of People Over Politics, and it is the last, it's the last month, really, of the political season in America and we thought um, it would be fun to do something really dumb and potentially detrimental and talk about politics in church, okay? No, no, seriously, like, what are the two things that we grew up having people tell us not to talk about, right? Politics and religion, because it goes bad places, right? So here at Redeemer, we're just going to take the two and smash them together and see what happens, right? No, uh, I know actually some of you are a little nervous about what is going to happen here and what I'm going to say. Uh, I want to calm some of those fears and I want to do that actually by setting some guidelines about what's going to happen in the next few weeks. So here, here are some things that I, I, I promise you these next four weeks. One, people over politics will not, will not be partisan, okay? Please know at no point in this series will I be telling you who to vote for. And at no point are you going to be able to guess who I am voting for, even though I know some of you will try, Okay. Um, we, uh, the goal here is not to influence your vote or even really actually talk about any particular issue. The goal, uh, is, is not that in these next four weeks. Here's the second thing I'd like to say. This is not intended to be polarizing. Okay. Uh, my, my goal is not for us to be further divided when we leave here on a Sunday morning, but to be more unified around the person and the promises of Jesus Christ. And notice how I underlined the word intended there. I, I just want to say, uh, after having been a preacher for a few years now, I have learned that I cannot control how you will hear what I say or mishear what I say. Um, I, I'm not that powerful, right? I sometimes wish I was, right? But, uh, but I, I want to say there at no point am I trying to divide us. At no point, even if I say something that you disagree with, do, is my intent here to come after you personally or in that thought or what, what's going on? That, that's not what I'm, I'm after here. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to challenge you, actually. Uh, I hope that you are challenged in these next four weeks because if you're not challenged, honestly, I'm not sure that I'm doing my job, okay? But I, I, even in that challenge, in no way am I trying to divide us, okay? Last thing, the goal of people over politics is for us, especially Christian people, to do better. Okay, I'm not nearly as interested in who you vote for as I am who you are as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, so um, uh, the goal here is that Christians would do better than the world around them 
and that in doing better, we would make the world around us better, okay? And I believe deeply that if we do that, if we put Jesus out in front of us and try to follow him, that will actually happen around us uh, because of what we learn and, and we become through following Jesus. Amen. Can I, does that sound good to everybody? Can I get an amen in the house, right? If you're at home, turn over to the person next to you and say, woo! Yep, in the room too, right? Okay. Uh, all right. Um, you guys excited to dig in? All right. We're just trying to make church great again, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't resist that one. Let's, let's go ahead and, and pray. All right. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you uh, for these for these people. Thank you for them laughing at that last joke, Lord. And uh, I thank you for a, a lightheartedness as we walk into a heavy, heavy subject. Lord, may the things that um, get said here be helpful. May our hearts be soft enough to hear them. Would you um, help us not to cross our arms and get defensive in our minds, open them up to you as the author and perfecter of our faith? Lord, may, may, may you, by the power of your spirit, work through my words so that they would be pleasing in your sight. And may the meditations of every single one of our hearts, Lord, lead to a spot that is pleasing to you. Jesus, we come before you because you are a rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Today's message is titled, Whose Side Are You On? And we're going to open up to the book of Joshua, chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, head there now. want to do it on your phone. You can follow along there. If you're uh, in the Worship Online app, uh, you can actually click the Bible and follow along as you're watching this morning. So that, that's uh, really cool and awesome. Let me give you some context as you are getting uh, there. So Joshua, chapter 5, we're actually walking into a really critical transition point in the story of God's people in the Old Testament, in Israel's story. They have been, at this point, wandering around the desert for 40 years, delayed entering into this land that God promised their ancestors. They've come out of slavery, wandered in the desert under Moses. Moses has passed. Now the, the leader, Joshua, is, is about to take them into this promised land. And to enter into that land, they're actually about to go into battle with a city in Can- of Canaanites called Jericho. And so uh, God has led them into this battle. They're ready to go. The scouting has been done. The battle strategy is in place. They are, they are walking up to Jericho and something really strange and fascinating happens. And that's what I want to read right here. Uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay, so here's Joshua. He's ready to roll into battle right? He's, he's ready to head up on Jericho when all of a sudden 
he runs into this, this man. And he's not quite sure who this, who this man is. Uh, he, he doesn't look like an Israelite warrior. He doesn't look like uh, a Canaanite, like someone from Jericho. Uh, and, and he's clearly actually a warrior. The scripture says he has his sword drawn out. He's clearly shown up that day for the battle that's about to happen. But Joshua doesn't know who he is. So he says to him, he says, uh, he says, who are you? He actually specifically says, who's, who, who, um, are you for us or for our enemies? He walks up to him, probably stands a little bit away, unsure, and says, who are you? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Right? It's important to know when you're about to do battle, right? And there's a warrior standing there. But what does this man say? What's his answer to this? This battle about to happen? Neither. Whose side are you on? Neither. Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. And then he says this other really important thing. Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. On neither side, I'm, a, I'm commander of the army of the Lord. All right, now here's what I am wondering if I'm Joshua and I've just gotten that answer. If you're part of the Lord's army, how are you neither? How are you on neither side here? How are you not on my side, right? Because think about this from Joshua's perspective. He is part of God's covenant people, the chosen people. That's what God called them. They have been led into this battle by the Lord himself. They have been promised the victory, right? They have been uh, given a battle strategy, right? God has said, you're going to win this battle. And and, and, And so if I'm Joshua and a commander of the Lord's army shows up, I'm not thinking he's neither. I'm thinking he's on my side, right? I'm thinking, yes, you know, reinforcements are here. It's time for some divine battling to be happening, right? We're going to win. But that is not, not the answer that this commander makes. It's not the assumption that he wants him to give. He says, it's com- neither, I'm here, it's commander of the Lord's army. And from this interaction, this patches of scripture, there's something I really think God wants us to see. You know that this little interaction adds no narrative value to what's happening. Like it's just dropped in the story. Most of us don't even know that it's there if we're familiar with the book of Joshua, right? Why did God put this instance, this interaction in here? I think there's a really, really important thing that God knew humans needed to hear for a long time, and it's this. God is not on your side. God is on God's side. Let me say that again. God is not on your side. God is on God's side. God's not on your side. God's not on my side. God is on God's side. Okay, now, let me unpack that. I don't mean that God doesn't love you. I don't mean that God isn't for you. I don't mean that God doesn't have plans for your life and is working for your good. All those things are affirmed in the scripture themselves. What I think God is saying here is when it comes to battles, to human sides, God doesn't play that game. God doesn't take sides. And, and he's not really interested in being claimed by any human side. And even when it would appear like God is on a side, right? God's still saying, no, 
I'm not on a human side. And please don't assume in any given situation, even if we're working towards the same outcomes, that you get to claim me on your side. I'm not on your side. God doesn't take sides. He doesn't take political sides, not national sides, not ethnic sides, not personal sides. God's not on your side. God's not on my side. God is on whose side? God's side. Okay? I think that that is so important. I think that's the thrust of what is being communicated to Joshua in this moment. And, I, and, and let me just bring it down into kind of what I see around us today. Um, have you all ever heard, I, I hear this all the time, especially during election season, something to the effect of, um, I don't know how you can be a Christian and blank. Right? I'm seeing heads nod, right? This is something that, that is said. Uh, honestly, you've probably heard it. Some of you may have said it yourself. Some of us have maybe wrestled with that idea ourselves, right? But there's some blank and there's some way in which we fill in the blank. I don't know how you can be a Christian and not care about the poor. I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for that Democrat. I don't know how you can be a Christian and think that the character of the candidate doesn't matter. I don't know how you can be a Christian and not like tacos, right? Okay, needed some comic relief there, right? Those were, those were some heavy-hitting things, right? Be honest with you all, I've wrestled with this. I've filled in that blank at times because I, I actually do believe that there are certain uh, ideas and paradigms and behaviors that absolutely don't line up that are contradictory with Christian faith. Like being a Christian and treating anyone poorly or less than because of the color of their skin or their culture or their economic location or whatever, right? That doesn't line up with Christian faith. That's true, right? And it's hard to deny that, right? But I want to tell you, as I've kind of stepped back and thought about what's going on when we make this phrase, my thinking has actually broadened a little bit. And there's two things that, that I think are worth pointing out. One, so there are things in contradiction with Christian, Christian faith. Racist behavior um, is not in line with Christian faith, right? But isn't also being unwilling to forgive someone when they've hurt you? Isn't also um, uh, going onto social media and trolling people and saying hurtful things? Isn't it also uh, having any form of idolatry in our lives, like trusting our money more than we do our Lord, right? It, it is the reality that if we run down the list of things where we fill in that blank that aren't in line with Christianity, don't all of us in our own sins and failures show up in that blank at some point? We absolutely do. You run down that list enough, every single one of us ends up there. Right? And, and, and the reason is, it's because we're all sinners and we all sin. And so all of us have been a Christian and done something that fills in that blank. Right? And, and the good news of the gospel is actually while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The good news of the gospel is that as we are Christians and we still fail and sin, God's grace still extends to us. And the truth that is also embedded in Scripture is that in our worst failures and faults and our ideas, Jesus Christ still's blood is shed for us. He still claims us. Okay? 
And so I'm not condoning any form of sin in what I'm saying. I'm, I'm also not saying grace is a license to do whatever we want. I'm not saying repentance doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that all of us have places where we have fallen short of the glory of God, where we filled in that blank, right? In reality, all of us are Christians and have done something in contradiction to Christian faith or thought something, okay? So that's true. And, and here's what then I, I think I've also come to see. Here's the second point. I think if, if that's true, uh, this statement, you can't be a Christian in blank, is actually a way that maybe we subconsciously try to claim that God's on our side. Okay? I, I think that it, it's, it's a form of us saying, here's an issue, and I'm going to draw sides over this issue. Usually it's not an essential issue to Christian faith, but I'm going to draw sides over this issue and say, God's on this side. Right? God's on, on my side. You know, and those sins and those failures are unacceptable, but the ones that are in my life just aren't quite as, as significant or important, right? And I, I think that, that, that that is true. I think that's actually what's happening, even though we don't realize it, that we're assuming that God is on a side because we're trying to bring him onto our side. And I think this has led uh, us and some people, some Christians in our country, to think and say ridiculous things like uh, the litmus test for your Christian faith is who you vote for, Trump or Biden, in November of 2020. I mean, it's th- that's being said right now, and it belittles the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, now, I want to say I think that I, I do know the thought process that gets us there. And I think I understand. I think I've even felt it myself. We, we say to ourselves... Like, I chose Jesus. I'm, I've committed my life to Christ. I am following him with everything that I have. I have experienced transformation because of that relationship, right? And, and so if I'm trying, if I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I see other Christians doing this, God must be on my side. God must be on my side in this thing that I'm trying so hard on, right? But let me point out, isn't that exactly what Joshua was thinking? In that moment, it's exactly where he was. And the commander of the Lord armies comes up to him and says, neither. I'm still not on your side, dude. Right? Like God doesn't take, take sides. Right? And, and, and maybe the other subconscious assumption that we're making and we don't even realize it is that God approaches human arguments in the same way that we do. That God approaches like political situations in, in human world the same way that we do. Like God looks down from above and he sees two presidential candidates. And he says, which one of the lesser of these two evils will I put in office? Right? Like that's how we might think about it. Right? But I don't think that's how God thinks about it. Like God looks down and says, oh, they check these Christian boxes over here. Oh, this candidate checks these Christian boxes over here, but nobody does enough. I'm going to do a miracle and put Joe Jorgensen in office. I don't even know how you say her her name, but like, it sounds ridiculous. But I want to tell you, think about it. Is that the underlying assumption that is kind of driving the way that you think about politics? That God approaches it the same way we do. But I don't don't think that's, that's it at all. I don't think God looks down on a human world 
and has the same view and vision from eternity that we have from our own little moment in time. I, I, I really don't. And I think, I think actually he said it very clearly that he doesn't. Isaiah, God says to his people, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's saying, I see all this different, and my way is so much better than your human way. And I I hear that, and I say, thank you, Lord. Because this place would be a mess if you saw this thing the way I tend to see it at times, right? For that, we give thanks, okay? I want to say this one more time for extreme clarity. God's not on your side. God's not on my side, right? He is for you, but he is not raising your flag or your side's flag in the air. He raised a cross in the air and his son from the grave, and it's to those ends. That's the side that he's on in this world. Not my side, not your side. God is on God's side. Thank you for the amen. Amen, right? Okay, Here, uh, here's the next thing. After Joshua realizes what the commander of the Lord's army says, like he's neither, uh, but he's, he's on God's side. Here he is showing up. What does he do, right? He, he, the scripture says he falls face down to the ground, right? And then he, he speaks to the commander from the ground. What message does my Lord have for his servant? He says, I actually prefer the way that the New Living Translation says this because it's not just a message that, um, that, that the commander wants Joshua to hear. It's a response that Joshua is trying to have. He, he says in the New Living, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I, I think that's a really good response when we realize that God isn't on my side. God's not on your side. God's on the God's side. What does that mean? How does that change the way that we think about things and approach a situation? And, um, and I think there are two things that really emerge here uh, from Scripture and from this passage. And here's the first. I think the first thing God wants us to do is to make sure your highest allegiance is to God's side. Make sure that the, the greatest allegiance that you have in your life is to God's side. I think the question we ask isn't, is God on my side? I think the question we ask is, am, am I wholly and completely committed to God's side? Okay? Um, when my kids were in the virtual learning phase, uh, one day I was the phase in. I, I walked by, headed out the door actually, and I walked by my son Jeremiah. And he was standing up, and his hand was over his heart. And he was doing the Pledge of Allegiance. And honestly, it caught me off guard. Like, I wasn't sure what to do. Like, do I try to sneak out the door right here? That didn't seem right. So I, I got next to him, and I put my hand over my heart, and I pledged allegiance. And then I, and then I took off uh, that day. And I was thinking there and driving in the car, I really actually do appreciate how our schools um, are doing that with the next generation. I think that um, it's a way for us to teach citizenship and appreciation for our country um and uh and we live in a great nation and i am i am proud of this country and i'm deeply thankful for all the things all the blessings all the freedoms all the privileges we are afforded 
as Americans, I am deeply thankful for the people who have sacrificed to give us those freedoms. And I have lived in other countries for significant periods of time. I know how different and how much less than it can be than what we have here in this nation, okay? At the same time, um, I, I want to tell you, I am not blind to or in denial about the sins and failings of our nation past and present, okay? I also don't believe that there is any version of America, even in its best, best case scenario, where this is a, a nation, a human nation, that deserves my highest pledge of allegiance. Because my conviction is that broken people who live in a broken world and set up a system of government that's also broken, things are always going to go broke, right? Like that is a, that is a deep conviction and understanding that I have of the world. And so I don't ever look at a, at a political party or even some nation and think to myself, oh, right? Like this, this is, they're going to get it right. Oh, like if they just get in office, everything will be okay. That's not where my hopes are. That's not where my highest allegiance is. And, and I reserve those things wholly and completely to, to Jesus, who said he is Lord, who said, I am building a kingdom that is not of this world, and who announced that kingdom and invited people into it, beginning with the transformation that happens in their heart. That's where my highest allegiance is. It's to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And, um, and I don't know if you know this, but actually the, the, the Christian church has had a pledge of allegiance, so to speak, from way, way, way back in history. It was called the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it's actually on the wall right over there. We did an eight-week sermon series about it that people thought was way too long. And I want to tell you, it's paying off right now, right? Like, it's actually really, really important to understand this thing. The Apostles' Creed is a statement of foundational, essential beliefs that the church developed uh, and finally codified in the third century, but came out of the, the teachings of Jesus and the first apostles and said, this is who we are. This is the essential foundation of what we believe. These are the non-negotiables of who we are in the world. On this, we stand, okay? And, um, and what I don't think... Uh, Christians in the 21st century have an appreciation for is actually how politically charged the creed is and was and, and actually how politically subversive it can be and, and has been historically. I just want to read you a couple of lines and bring that out. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Okay, think about this. By claiming that God is almighty and that he created heaven and earth, what we're actually also doing is announcing to the world that our existence, that um, our nation and our freedoms, everything we have is, is not ultimately created or sustained by any human will. We're saying this is the gift of God. We are created by God. We are sustained by God. Things in the world are somehow ordered by his providential sovereign hand. Right? This is actually not something you want to hear if you're a, a leader or a government that, that wants you to think, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to set this up. We're going to sustain this. Christians are saying, no, you're not. There's always a, po a power higher than the highest power in the land. Right? That is politically subversive. And Christians did it because their highest allegiance was to Jesus. Second line, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, 
our Lord. You know, we don't use this word Lord too much in, um, in, in our language today, but it was common actually in the first century. And you know who, who actually really liked to be called Lord in the first century, who, who demanded it? It wasn't Jesus, it was Caesar. It was the Roman leader in the world. And so when Christians said, Jesus is Lord, they very clearly were saying, who's not? Caesar, okay? And that was an incredibly politically subversive thing. They, they were persecuted and killed because of their commitment to saying that very thing. It's almost like it's not the same, but it's almost like, you know how some people today are like, that's not my president, right? Jesus is not my Lord, okay? It's not the same. But honestly, that there's a parallel there that, that is there. And, and it's, it, it was an incredibly charged statement that Christians were making. Why did they do it? Because they were saying to the world, they were announcing, our highest allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And I, I want to say, I, I think God actually makes this very clear in the scripture that that's what he wants from us that he wants us to make sure that our greatest allegiance is to him and his ways in this world. That, that we need to be asking ourselves, are, am I on God's side? And he said that to this very people when he brought them out of slavery. Just to give you one example from scripture, Exodus 20, 10 commandments, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, Where's your allegiance? You shall have no other God before me. And we need to make sure that we don't, right? That no political uh, party or commitment or idea gets ahead of our commitment to Christ. That our faith filter is always ahead of our political filter. And let me just say this um, very clearly as well. Whether you prefer to kick with donkeys or stomp with elephants. God demands that every knee bows lowest to the lion and the lamb. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, one last thought. When the commander <clears throat> of the Lord's army responds to Joshua face down, what do you want me to do? Uh, he says a really interesting thing. He says this, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. If you are a warrior on the cusp of a battle, right? Does that sound like something that you are wanting to do? Take off your footwear, right? Like, no, that's super strange command. Actually, you'd be like, uh, I want to upgrade my footwear as I run into this battle, right? Give me something better than some sandals, Joshua, <laughs> right? But, uh, but this is exactly what the commander says to him. And it makes you ask the question, why would he say something so opposite of what you would expect? Well, I, I, I thought about that a lot. And here's the best answer that I think I can give. I think God wanted Joshua to enter into this battle with incredible humility. I think he wanted him to find a really, really humble place, right? I think he wanted Joshua to know, I don't need you for this battle. The outcome doesn't depend on you, Joshua. We're going to march around Jericho seven times and blow a horn and the walls are going to fall down, right? I don't need you for this, okay? And I think, uh, I, I think he, he's saying to Joshua, yes, you happen to be 
aiming for the same outcome as I do, that you're by my side, but you're only by my side by my grace and my mercy on your life, right? And so it just makes me think, when I, when I reflect on that, in the middle of um, just all the political battles that are being waged today and all the conversations that are happening, how does God want us to walk into those situations and be in the world? Right? I, I think what God is asking is that we would have the same humility. Okay? If we're going to be God's people in the world, working for the good of his kingdom in the world, we still are only on his side by his grace. Okay? And the way we do battle as God's people is with our shoes off and our faces to the ground. Okay? And, and I just want to close by asking you today, you know, is that where you are? Right? How, how did all this hit you this morning? Right? Is your commitment to Jesus really your highest allegiance? Like when you look at your life and you consider the things that are in it, is there evidence that Jesus is your highest commitment in this political climate? Right? Is that true in the conversations that you're having with your family and your friends and your coworkers? Is it there in your social media posts? Is it... Um, true and that bumper sticker that's on your car right is your commitment to jesus your highest allegiance and as you engage in these conversations are you assuming that god's on your side uh are you are you talking with your shoes off and your face to the ground with that kind of humility i think that's who god calls us to be in the world and redeemer that's who i'd ask you to be these next four weeks um I want to pray here, but let me just say to anybody here in this room and watching online, if you're here this morning and you have never made Jesus your highest allegiance, you have never committed your life and said, my highest hope is in you, I want to tell you it's one of the joys we have in the season of politics that we don't have to trust that any human is going to get it right. We can know that, that the man who came and died for our sins got it all right. And, uh, and we just trust him and we give our lives to him. And so I'd invite you to do that. If you do it, um, please text the word follow to the text line that we have. And, um, and we want to help you take your next steps. Let's go ahead, everybody, and let's, go, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for um, just the opportunity that we have to open up your word, to think deeply about the things you say, to be challenged today, uh, to be challenged in what we have read. Lord, if we have tried to pull you on our side, we repent. Lord, um, we ask that with you would foster humility by the power of your spirit in our lives so that we, your people, Lord, could make a difference in this world as salt and light is changing things. Lord, and, and we pray that you would. We pray that people would see the greater hope that we have. We pray these things in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.